Research and public policy have traditionally focused on education and income as drivers of upward mobility. There is compelling evidence, however, that education alone does little to explain the source of different levels of economic well-being, especially across race. Observing an association between higher levels of educational attainment and higher levels of net wealth and concluding that education produces wealth is tantamount to observing an association between the presence of umbrellas during rainfalls and concluding that umbrellas cause the rain. It's more likely that the relative wealth of different races explains the educational attainment differences across race groups. This excerpt is from Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain, Why Studying and Working Hard Isn't Enough for Black Americans, a joint report between the New School, the Duke Center for Social Equality, and Insight, a nonprofit research entity. What does this mean for people of color trying to secure the bag? What role, if any, does education play in affecting our income? And if education alone won't secure the bag, what will? Hi, my name is Ade, and this is Living Corporate. So, today we're talking about greenery. Cheese, to be more specific, we're talking about paper stacks, racks, loose leaves, guac, benjamins, all that. So, we're talking about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting to the back. More specifically and more to the point of this show, uh, what role, if any, does education play um, in securing said bag? You know, uh, this is a great topic. I'm really excited that we're talking about it because I know for me growing up, education was a big deal. It was a big deal for its own sake because my mom um, is a principal now and before that she was an English teacher. Uh, But off top, she told me, look, the expectation is for you to get a master's. We didn't even talk about me going to college because we knew that we were going to college. No joke. Um, I didn't even walk for my undergraduate degree, not because I didn't believe college matters, but because it was so much the expectation. Same here. Uh, it wasn't even a spoken thing. My family just expected me to go to college. <laughs> you need to go to college to get a job, and you need to get a job to get money. So it was an automatic uh, thought process there. <laughs> right. And to be honest, I just figured the more education you got, the more money you make. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've realized that isn't always the well, case. To keep it real for a second... How many people do we know um, who, at the barest minimum, have a bachelor's degree um, but have not secured the bag? And before we go any further, this is certainly not to disparage anybody with a bachelor's degree under their belt or who have um, terminal degrees. This is just a process of trying to understand what the secret sauce is. Um, Listen, if there is a formula, somebody needs to put me on. Um, I was on Fishbowl which is, for those who don't know, it's an anonymous posting app for consultants. And there were just so many different stories um, and conversations going on around compensation that I had never been exposed to before. Um, And it's even more unbelievable because the study that I referenced at the top of the show, uh, again, it's called Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain, Why Studying and Working Hard Isn't Enough for Black Americans. Um, It calls out the median wealth by education level um, and, and it shows that disparity between um, black and white white families, where black families with a post baccalaureate degree have a combined wealth of about eighty four thousand dollars. White families at the same level have a combined wealth of almost three hundred thousand. The numbers get even more bleak with fewer years of education. Right, now, and I appreciate you you sharing this this data. I mean, it's a great report. Umbrellas don't make it rain. We'll make sure to have it in the actual. Uh, show description, um, but I look at these numbers myself, <laughs> and I'm like, "How sway? 
How? How is that possible? Uh, the thing about it is, though, neither one of us has finished grad school, so most of our talking points are going to be secondhand, right? Um, it would be great if we could talk to a, a first-generation corporate professional yeah. who maybe they graduated from a top three grad school in the nation. Yeah. You know, someone who could share their story about their experiences. And right, right. What their job hunting was like and maybe how they used their degree to get to the next level, perhaps. Like our guest, Richard Ordior. What? <laughs> Sound man, I need you to go ahead and drop them things in here for me. You know what it is. <laughs> All right. So next we're going to get into our interview with our guest, Richard Ordior. I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, y'all. Uh, we're back. And as Ade said, we have Richard Odier on the show. Richard, welcome to Live It Corporate, man. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm glad to come to the show. This is exciting, <laughs> man. So, look, man, for those of us who don't know you, would you mind sharing your story a bit and, and uh, specifically on how you got into corporate America and then two uh, what led you to pursue an MBA? Yeah, so uh, I went to the University of Houston, uh, majored in finance. And like anybody else in Houston, uh, there's one option, uh, oil and gas. So I quickly hopped into a career in finance and oil and gas for a couple of years, um, worked in commodity trading, then like financial performance analysis, pretty much all aboard for a while. And then luckily, I was able to gather with a group of friends who were trying to do some entrepreneurial things and we opened up a chain of gourmet donut cafes in Houston. Um, shout out to Glazed. Um, and so one of the things that the experience really let me know is I loved building things. I love growing things. But it also let me know I like growing things fast. And what I learned about through that experience is that brick and mortar is a bit slower. And so I went back to school in the sense to move to a faster pace growth. And so for me, that was tech, right? Tech-enabled businesses. So I went back to business school with two things in mind, either going to venture capital or going to consulting because I wanted to see a faster pace growth. That's kind of how my mission to go back to school started. So, so talk to me a little bit more about uh, growing things and growing things fast. When did you realize that the pace that you worked at was perhaps a little bit faster than that of your surroundings? Oh, man, it was as soon as week three at work. I think at the time, oil and gas was moving slow. Companies were paying people crazy amounts of dollars to do little work. And so I joined my new group, and I was probably the only other person under 30 in my group of like 35 people, and primarily because companies were paying people to do work that could have been automated and people were not motivated to move up because they were getting annual promotions, annual raises, and they, it was outlandish. And I just realized this was very slow. First six months of being there, I had already surpassed a lot of people on the floor just because everybody was coasting. And it, was, it wasn't because I was doing anything amazing. I was just putting right. more effort <laughs> than the average individual, right? right and right. for me, that just kind of, kind of wasn't what I wanted to do. I figured... While you're young, do as much as you can, as fast as you can, and learn as much as you can. So I just kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. And through the experiences I was able, and great mentors at the company, I was able to develop really fast, get into new roles, get new opportunities that a lot of people probably wouldn't get into until several years into their career. And so that was pretty amazing. But then I realized I didn't have ownership of anything. 
I didn't have anything that I could call my staple item. When you're working in oil and gas, you don't own an oil rig. You don't build an oil rig. You don't make any of that. And so I was like, what is my impact? And I didn't feel it. And I felt like there was a way that I could feel it, that I wanted to tangibly know that I had changed something. So I looked at somewhere else. And luckily, I had some friends who were into the same thing and into building, into cultivating, into doing yeah. some really cool things. And so we just started chatting and said, hey, what can we do? Were there any preconceived notions about grad school uh, that were proven right when you got there? And were there any preconceived notions about grad school that were proven wrong? Um, one preconceived notion, at least for business school, and I'll speak to business school, the hardest part was getting in. Once you're in, it is busy. It is difficult. It's kind of like a ride. Like you, you're enjoying yourself and learning and meeting really cool people the whole time. But sometimes a lot of the work gets masked, if that makes sense. You don't realize how much work you're doing because it's masked in so many other experiences. Um, the opportunities really feel global. Like I traveled almost 30 countries in two years. It was ridiculous. 30 countries in two years. Yeah, I think the final number was like 28. I think and I can speak for myself. I don't want to speak for all minorities, but sure. this is one of the things that a friend of mine told me, speak up, raise your hand, and don't be afraid. Um, minorities tend to feel like our voice is not going to be on par with the rest of everybody. We think about what we're going to say so carefully because we want to seem a certain way. And what I realized, and what my buddy told me, he was like, you're here because you earned it. Don't ever feel like you didn't earn it and don't ever feel like you can't compete. Those were really, really big words for me because I think oftentimes I went to the city school, I went to University of Houston, right? And a lot of your classmates are coming out of schools like Columbia, Harvard, Yale. And so yeah. <laughs> sometimes you get this mindset like, yo, what am I going to do? I'm not on the same level. And then you get in there and you pull something out of yourself that you don't understand that you have. And you understand that you're here because you're valuable. You're here because you bring something to the table. And I think that was one of the things that, I had to shake off when I first got there. It's funny that you bring that up, talking about, um, talking about you know, as you, you look around the room and you see all these people with these really big uh, collegiate names next to them, and um, and how you you question yourself, right? Like you question yourself, like, do you really belong there? And it's funny because a couple shows ago we had um, we were talking about imposter syndrome and like how you battle that. And it's funny that you you kind of bring that up when you say. Um, not feeling like you need to prove your seat at the table. Right. But that like, if you're here, you earned it and that you're here for a reason. Um, so that's no, that's, that's really, you know, I hope, I hope that that's the people take away. They t they're encouraged by that because that's, that's a really good message. Um, and I think it's actually applicable in and outside of, uh, you know, academia. Right. I always tell people like, let someone else turn you away. Right. Straight up. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of times we, and when I say we, I talk, talk with the minority population. Right. We, we self doubt ourselves. Right. We, we say, Oh, like I remember in undergrad, there was a career fair and there were several companies recruiting and my buddies, we walked in and they veered off left and I veered off to the right. And I was like, yo guys, why aren't you coming here? And they were like, well, my GPA is not this. And my, my grades aren't that. And I said, let them tell you no. You know what Straight I mean? Up. No. <laughs> like, like, I, I need them to, 
I need them to tell me now. I'm not, I'm not going to tell myself no. You know what I mean? Man. Someone needs to pat me on the back and say, hey, Richard, what you're saying is not good enough. Hey, Richard, your product's not good enough. Hey, Richard, your grades aren't good enough. But I'm not going to tell myself I'm not good enough. Man, I'm going to walk in there. Yeah. I'm going to hand my resume to whoever's there, and we're going to have this conversation. And then yeah. you're going to tell me I'm not good enough. No, straight up. I mean, the re- I'm, I'm, I'm cheering you on when you're talking because, man, that's my philosophy. Like, look, man. There's plenty of people out there that are going to already tell me I'm not whatever. I'm either too academic or not academic enough. I'm either too strategic or too tactical or I'm too this or not enough that. Listen, man, there's enough out there already of all of that. So I'm not going to be an additional voice for that. I'm going to tell myself I am. You enough. are enough. Yeah. You know, like what's <laughs> what's the point? Like, so you're going to sit back and join every every other voice out there. Not to be super pessimistic and say that the world is against you. That's not what I'm saying. But there's more than enough voices and perspectives and opinions, uh, be that for whatever reason that are going to tell you and discount you. So don't discount yourself. Let them tell you, let them push you out the room. Let them tell you that you shouldn't sit at the table. Then you fight, but don't, you know, don't kick yourself before you even get started. A hundred percent. You got to walk in like you already have a seat at the table every time you walk in the room. Right. Every time, every time you walk in the room and I'll, I'm going to let you pull my chair out, but I'm not pulling my own chair out of underneath myself. I'm saying, <laughs> I have a seat. That's right, yeah. I don't I don't I don't care what room it is. I walk in and I have a seat. And that's right. how you have to operate. No, absolutely. Uh well look, man, we, today as you know, uh, we're talking about getting to the bag, right? And so yeah. the context was all around like, you know, we looked at a study um called Umbrellas Don't Make It Rain and um it's it's essentially you know, dispelling certain myths about um wealth inequality or just income in, and income inequality. And one of the things for for me and, and Adi that we were talking about on the show growing up, I just thought that, you know, if you got a grad degree um, that, you know, you were they were just going to hand you money. Right. Like they're just going to that you're just going to walk out of that thing with a thick six figure salary. Um, and so my question to you, what would you say to people who just make that assumption? Like, look, I went to grad school, I got my MBA and now it's time for me to get get that uh, one hundred sixty thousand hundred eighty thousand two hundred twenty thousand dollar bag like what would you say to people who who make that assumption um (laughs) i I think a couple things to get that to get the bag you've got to be ready first what are you bringing to the table what industry are you looking to go into what were you doing before and how are you going to change the organization that you're going to now so for example, even me going to business school was interesting. I remember when I was making the decision, I was I used to be a finance guy, so I had to put it in, in a spreadsheet, right? And so I had to say, okay, if I go to business school and pay X and I'm coming out and making this, then it's valuable. And I hate to sound like a, a snob in a sense, but I think a lot of times people don't understand what they're investing in when they go to grad school. And I say this to say that, like, not to knock any program, all programs are not created equal. All opportunities are not created equal. So going to any grad school isn't the same as going to certain grad schools, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it it all depends on where you're at in life, right? At a certain point, I usually say the premium spot is maybe four, just anywhere from four to six years is a premium spot because you've probably made good enough money in the place you're in but still have enough value from the MBA to get the post MBA salary would still be worth it if that makes sense. So for example, right? Like if, if you're working, if you work eight years and you've made your, your salary is now at X dollars 
it's harder to leverage the NBA because the, the jump that you can make is smaller, right? But if you go with prime time, which is usually for most programs, let's say four to six years, the jump you can still make is still very sizable. So, for example, I was blessed with a really, really good job before, like I said, and it was great, and I was making really good money. But post-MBA, I was still able to increase my overall salary by more than 50%. At that point, the numbers still made sense. But if I had stayed in my current company for maybe another year or two, the jump would not have been as large. Right. Also, I think some of the big things, is it's not just about the bag now, it's about the bag later. Um, and I say that um, in the sense that if you go to the right program with the right resources and the right network, the beauty of it is it's not just about you getting the bag today, but your network will also be getting the bag. And so your network is your bag as well, because whenever they're looking to hire a consultant down the line, it's you. Whenever they're looking to hire someone for an acquisition, it's you. They're going to operate in the network of other people that they believe are competent. I was um, one of the things I noticed. I work in consulting. One of the things I noticed is some of the best managing directors, um, what they leverage is their MBA network. Yeah. Because what they utilize is their other classmates working in industry and whatever company company it may be, and they reach out to them and they sell these huge million dollar projects back and forth. And because that bag is not just a today bag, it's a future bag, right? And so mm. I won't say that the knowledge is something that you can't always Google. There's a lot of aspects you can Google about the knowledge. You can get the documentation. But a large part of business school is the in-person interaction. I used to sit with my classmates from Colombia, India, Indonesia, all over the world, and we would talk about different concepts, and I learned directly from them. And two things that I got, I got unique knowledge but I also got to know them better. So when I tell you I went to 28 countries, I was going with these people from those countries and I was learning business through them and with them. And now in the future, they know that if an opportunity comes, I can knock on their door, they can knock on mine. When we talk about uh, wealth or we talk about the bag, right? Like like just using the terminology for the, for this uh, particular call. Yeah. Um, we talk about the bag. I I know for me that my default is how much money am I going to make off of this job um, mm. individually me right now, as opposed to, to your point, pulling from your network, right? And thinking about, like you you said, the bag in the future. If your bag, I would say, even if your bag is only, you know, in the context of a yearly salary, your bag isn't big enough, right? Like I would say, you need to be thinking about, and I'm really learning is that, you know, you're, you're basically saying you need to be thinking about, really what encompasses the bag, right? You're, and, and to your point, it's that, it's that network. And you think about MDs and partners and principals and blah, 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 especially cats who have been selling work for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. They typically are selling work back and forth to like the same, what, like seven or eight people. Like, it's not like they're- Seven or eight people. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like they're like, oh, I found this brand new guy that just popped out of nowhere. No, they, they have a- there's a network there. That's that's part of the bag. The, like the, the the relationships are part of the bag because ideally, one one of the things I realized, and if you go to the right program, if you do it the right way, you don't have to get to the bag immediately. And mm. I've seen it multiple times where, hey, someone went to grad school, they might not have got the exact job they wanted, but they took another job, they did well, they got promoted, and two jobs down the line when a great opportunity opened to that company, well, their friend works at that company and is high in that company, and they pull them over. You see a gravitation of 
oh, that company is run by a lot of X people to go to that school, or that company is run by a lot of people to go to that program. It's because there's a relationship that's being built, that's being carried over in so many ways. And there's a reason why certain companies recruit to certain schools, because those relationships, someone high in that company is from that school and has that relationship. So there's definitely value. And if you're changing industries, there's definitely value there. And that's that was one of the factors that if you're putting into a spreadsheet, you won't be able to put that part in the spreadsheet. Hmm. Your bag might not be actual cash. It might actually be your happiness and enjoyment of getting to something you want to do. I have a lot of friends from school who might have been doing things like banking, investment banking previously, making north of 200 a year and took jobs that make maybe even half of that post because their ideal goal was to get to something that was different and that was the bag for them and so mm. identifying mm. what your bag is is a big thing like once you identify what your bag is then you can identify how to get to the bag man that's just a that's a really good point man <laughs> i like that a lot um and so you, to your point i think perspective matters right like how yep. what you're thinking about and what your goals are which actually is a good segue um, to my next question. So as a follow-up to that, you know, what was your strategy for you on leveraging your MBA for where you want to go? Right. So when you think about, um, and did you even plug the school, man? Did you plug the school that you graduated? Oh, from? I got to plug my school. I was waiting for that, but I went to Kellogg, <laughs> man. Uh, Kellogg school of management <laughs> in Northwestern, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what, that's, that's my home, man. Yeah. Uh, it took care of me for a good two years, man. There we um, go. There we go. Uh, yeah. So, so, so my question is, when you think about catalog and and, and the, the degree that you earned, right? Um, yeah. How did you, you know, what, what what was your strategy on leveraging MBA to get where you wanted to go? Like, how did it fit into your master plan? I'm still leveraging it now. Like, I mean, um, in multiple ways. I think for me, the school, ideally chose a school for a certain, a, a few reasons, right? One, it was one of the programs that had the learning that I, that I like to learn. It had a lot of hands-on learning, but mixed with classwork. And they promised that you would work in over 400 groups before you left. And I was like, wow, 400? I was like, all right. And the importance of that was I work best when I get to know people. Like, I'm not the best, but I've always been good at managing relationships. And I wanted to go to a school where I would get to interact with people, manage and harvest relationships, and be able to develop with these people. And so when I chose a school, that was definitely in mind. And then on top of that, since I've been in school, I've been able to, the network is amazing. I've been able to reach out to so many people and I've made mentors and connections through our network that have been beyond everything that I could have dreamed about. And I'm still making networks and connections. I'm still taking calls and I'm still giving back in the same way. And so I'm always in this realm of gratefulness to the program, but it's it's leveraged me to be able to have conversations with individuals that probably would never if I just try to make a certain transition and answer my call, I've, I, in my phone to this day, I have the number saved of at least five millionaires easily. And that's a minimum. And those came through the experience of when I got to Kellogg, connecting with certain people and being continuously connected to my goals. Uh, for me, I had several short-term and long-term goals. I was able to utilize my network very early on. I remember first week of school, we did an exercise and it was in your sections. And I, the sections are usually around 60 people, maybe around 50. And so our professor said, hey, 
I want you to write down something that is one of your largest goals, and I want you to put it on the board. And we went one by one putting on the board. And anybody who could come, anybody who could help you get to your goal would come write their name on your sheet. Oh, wow. That's powerful. And it was interesting because he said, you don't realize what you have alone in this room, not even the whole school, but what you have alone in this room. Hmm. And from that first week of school alone, from the people who wrote their name on my list, I've been able to go so far. It's been crazy. I've met some of the millionaires I was... I said I connected through was through one exercise (laughs) and they've leveraged me to introduce me to other people. And it's been amazing. And so because of that, like I've naturally been given some experiences where I didn't even have to leverage the NBA. The NBA gave to me directly, if that makes sense. No, it does. That makes a lot of sense, man. Um, So look, I have a last question for you. Do you have any other plugs, any shout outs? Um, I got a lot of shout outs, a lot of plugs. Do your Um, thing, man. Go ahead. Got to do a Glaze the Donut Cafe. If you're in Houston, for sure, uh, check us out. See my family. Love you guys. Um, Kellogg School of Management. Bauer. I didn't even get to mention Bauer. Bauer was my undergraduate. You didn't. Go Cougs, man. Go Cougs. Uh, They gave me, I learned everything I know from them. I also want to plug Impact America Fund, one of the great funds I used to work at. Um, and I got connected to them during business school. It's a double bottom line uh, venture capital fund that focuses on investing in minority entrepreneurs and underrepresented minorities. I learned a lot from the people at that firm and I've grown a lot through them. I want to shout out to Living Corporate for doing what they're doing. You guys don't know how major this is right here, honestly. Um, as someone who's constantly worked in corporate America, and this is something we used to talk about in business school is we often have to cover and hover and hide who we are constantly. And what you guys are giving people is an opportunity to really be open and also an opportunity to see that you're not alone in the workplace, which is oftentimes when you're the other, you always feel alone. This podcast alone has excited me so much because it lets me know I'm not alone. and it lets me hear the stories of people who are doing great things that are also considered an other at work. Oh, man, that's amazing. Well, first of all, uh, Richard, bro, thank you for the kind words. And, and the thing about it is, man, what excites me when you <laughs> your energy is I've, and I've always loved it. And, and spoiler alert for uh, those listening in, Richard and I are, are, are friends. We've, we've known each other for about a decade now. But what I, what yeah, I love man, about a decade. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But what's crazy is and what excites me is the fact that, man, when you say something, especially when you give praise um, and also when you give when you give constructive criticism, but when you speak uh, and, and, and all the energy, it comes from a really authentic place. And so, uh, you know, we want to thank you for joining us today and um, and definitely uh, the shout outs. Um, I want to definitely endorse uh, Eat Glazed. Uh, Glaze is a great donut spot. Uh, good donuts. Great flavors. If you're in Houston, check it out. You'll probably see us uh, shout them out on our IG stories. So uh, stay tuned for that. But anyway, Richard, man, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. And any minorities who are listening to this, if you're thinking about grad school or business school, I can speak specifically to business school. If you're thinking about business school, feel free to hit me up. Honestly, um, I'm an open book. I like I'll have a conversation with you. Anybody who needs anything, honestly, my goal is to see more of us in those spaces. Um, because honestly, one thing I will say is it's a leveling ground. It, it it evens out the field, and I've seen it multiple times for yeah. people who were not given a, a silver spoon to start off with. Um, so if you want to have the conversation, if you 
we just have questions in general uh these guys have my contact info feel free to reach out and we can chop it up we'll definitely put the contact info in the um in the podcast information drop your stuff man what's your twitter your ig yeah email, man so my email richard.odior at gmail.com my ig is r.odior um that's it uh you can find me on facebook you can find me on linkedin um, feel free to touch base anytime. Let me know that you came from Living Corporate first so I can show these guys some love. <laughs> yeah, man, that's what's up. Hey, man, Richard, again, brother, thank you. We look forward to talking to you soon, brother. Yeah. All right, peace. And we're back. Yo, that was a great interview, and Richard was a fun guest. Uh, he had some really great insights on how you can leverage a degree for your goals, but I think I'm more certain now um, than I ever was before that a degree isn't a cheat code. Right. Like I said from the beginning, you know, I was raised to think that having a, a graduate degree would automatically give me one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight M's in my bank account. In my bank account. <laughs> Right. Um, but at the same time, I do believe that degrees have their time and their place. They just need to be part of your plan, um, which which is its own thing. Real talk. I know for me, I generally want to get a grad degree, right? First, it was an MBA. Uh, but now I'm thinking more of like an IO psych PhD. Oh, OK. Are you fancy, huh? I am very fancy, and <laughs> for sure. The point is, I'm trying to think it through, like the why of the degree, because school isn't free. It's definitely not even cheap. Sure isn't. Sure is not. Um, And listen, we started off the show talking about wealth inequality and how it isn't fixed purely by education. I don't think this should discourage people from pursuing a degree. I do hope that this conversation um, helps us think critically um, and analyze fairly common assumptions that many of us were raised to believe about how wealth is uh, generated and distributed. Like Richard alluded to, we're going to have to rethink what the bag is for us and what our strategy is to secure it. It has to be more than an annual salary. Right. And, you know, that's a soundbite for sure. This is a huge, complex and, yes, frustrating topic. Uh, But I believe the starting point is awareness, then thoughtful dialogue, then planning and then action. Agreed. Anyway, Let's get into our next segment, um, my favorite things, where we talk about what our favorite things are these days. Yes, my favorite thing right now has to be this book I'm reading called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo Lodge. It's so frank and honest. Um, I also have a bias towards aggressive book titles, like book titles that let you know exactly what it's about when you pick it up. I just, I really enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, shout out to Glazed Donuts. Uh, Glazed Donuts is a gourmet donut restaurant in Houston, Texas. I can tell you that they have a great product. Donuts, sandwiches, kolaches, juice, all of that. So shout out to Richard and Bobby and Osa and TJ and all of the members of the Glazed Donuts team. So currently I have at the absolute top of my list of One True Loves. um, I have this book called Children of Blood and Bone. It is by Tomi Adeyemi, who um, wrote just an amazing, amazing work. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, reading more from her. I'm, I'm Nigerian, I'm Yoruba, and it's really, really beautiful to see um, the Yoruba pantheon of gods incorporated into a literary work. 
So uh, go check that out if you are interested at all in, well, reading. Um, but also if you're interested at all in um, any in fantasy novels, a really, really good book. My other favorite thing, I don't know if you've seen that rhyme. I just got a new vet, a, a new dog. His name is Benji. Well, technically, his name is Maximilian Benjamin Gold III. There is no first or a second. But yeah, yeah, we are extra over here on these parts. Um, I call him Benji because I'm the... I'm the more uh, sane mama. I am ground, I'm more grounded. I am down to earth and all of those things. So my beautiful, beautiful baby husky is just my newest ray of sunlight. And I just, I cannot get enough of him. I've taken 262 pictures and I have posted maybe three of them. So like, I'm not, I'm not being obsessive and I'm not being that guy, but he's a gorgeous pup. And I, I do say so myself. (laughs) dope well thank you for joining us on the living corporate podcast make sure you follow us on instagram at at living corporate twitter at living corp underscore pod and subscribe to our website through living-corporate.com if you have a question you'd like for us to answer read on the show make sure you email us at living corporate podcast at gmail.com and i think that does it for us on the show this has been zach and i'm ade peace Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.